So I've been friends with my friend Pete for over a decade now. I mean, yeah, over a decade. It's weird when you're in your 30s and you realize that people you met in your 20s you've now known for over a decade. I think I just perceive myself as being in my 20s all the time. Um, Mostly just because I don't have to get dressed nicely for work because I'm a freelancer, so it's still t-shirts and jeans and sitting in coffee shops, and it feels very 20s, Um, but it's not. (laughs) So that's how long Pete and I have actually been friends, and um, I consider him like a brother to me. I can crash on his couch um, if I'm in a rough spot, I can come over, we hug, it's totally platonic. I mean, I did sleep with him in my 20s, who didn't? You know, he's one of those. And I always thought it was really funny that he was just such a slut. And um, it was cool because we were like, we knew he was a slut, we loved him, we knew he had sort of this endless stream of women coming in and out again. And he was someone that I went to, like many people went to, I think in our friend group, like many people went to Pete, um, when they were really, really, really lonely. And I, I have been thinking about this since what happened, how because of his endless stream of women and because of all of us knowing that he would sleep with any of us at the drop of a hat, that he would stick his dick in anything, you know, I guess, you know, we we could go to him when we were lonely and we could use him and he would let himself be used. And, you know, I, I, I have been thinking about what an empty experience that must be how we've all been dismissive and jokey and everything like that about his behavior. And it's been really easy to do because, you know, the dude can make fun of himself and we can make fun of him and he's a dude, so it's not for some reason bad. But um, I do feel for him and I do feel for... Every heart he's broken, especially his own. And I don't know what hole he's trying to fill in in his heart. I, I have no idea. You know, sometimes I think it's loneliness itself. Sometimes, you know, he's, even as a friend of his for a decade, I sort of just, it's difficult. He wants to be there for me in my problems. He wants to be the person whose couch I crash on. He wants to be the person who, you know, spots me the extra money because I'm an adventurous freelancer person and he has a steady job. He wants to be that friend. He wants to be stable. And, you know, he is in some ways, but I've been thinking lately, oh, he, he's only stable because he doesn't know how to let any of us see the vulnerability. And I, I wonder if, I wonder where it exists. I, I don't know, or I never knew entirely how, how to get to it. And, you know, we can just call a spade a spade here because the dude has sex addiction, right? Like, and I felt it get exponentially way worse 
as technology developed, right? So before it was like, okay, we were friends. We were in our 20s. He partied. It seemed somewhat normal. It was really normalized, drunken sex, all of this sort of stuff. I was personally far too sensitive for a lot of the parties that he went to. Um, We met in community college in a painting class and our friend groups sort of combined, but I was sort of the more withdrawn one uh, who wasn't as interested in partying as I was in my entrepreneurial artistry and lonely life of wearing t-shirts and feeling 20 forever. But yeah, I mean, it seemed normal back then. It seemed normal that he slept with tons of girls or like got really drunk and did that. And then it came to a point where I mean, that was his life. I People were settling down and, and people were settling down around him. And he was in so many weddings. I remember just seeing on Facebook, like he was in just so many weddings, like tux after tux after tux. And he looked great. And I just kept wondering, like, I wonder how many of those bridesmaids he's sleeping with. Like, because that's, that's his type. I mean, that's the thing. And we were in a wedding together for our friend Anne. And he he laid some moves on me. And I mean, this is like years after we had our one-time thing when I was lonely and took advantage of it. Because I do, I feel like I was lonely once. And I had been terribly heartbroken. And I wasn't used to being alone. And I called him and I knew I could get validation. But it didn't feel like validation. It, it felt empty. And, um, it was weird after that for only a little while because of his ability to sort of shut it down. We, we never talked about it ever again. We just rolled back to being friends and there weren't emotions involved in it for him. I don't know if he knows that. I don't know if he knows how to, how to do that or how scary it must be for him to do that. And, I love him dearly. And it's strange because I, I just, I feel like I can't get through to him, but I love him dearly because he shows up for me and I love his jokes and he makes me laugh and his face makes me feel comfortable because he's one of my oldest friends. And it's funny how we stay friends with people for years and years and years and they can never fully let us in. And I know he has never fully let me in in a way that is closeness for me. And I often wonder about the different kinds of closeness there are for different kinds of people. I think he thinks I'm incredibly close because I've taken my heart out of my chest and put it in his hands because I'm just like that all the time to a fault, I guess. But what little I've seen of him from the inside is just... I'm I'm not sure. I love him for his jokes. I love him for his stability. It's difficult. He's a wonderful friend. He always shows up. He's insanely loyal. But yeah, I did watch him spiral into some really patterned sex addiction behavior. And I hate being that fucking person who fucking diagnoses someone from the outside. That's not who I am. I mean... I don't want to say he's a sex addict because I'm not a psychologist. I'm a fucking freelance artist. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I only know about my subjective perceptions projected onto things. And I'm completely aware that I'm doing that. Like, I am not science. I am not medicine. I am art and it is chaotic and it is nebulous. So for me to say the guy has sex addiction feels really... um, 
it feels really diagnostic and unfair. And all I'm seeing is this person who is hurt and trying to fill a hole. And that's what I experience from him. And the applications where you can swipe on people are not something I was ever, um, tough enough. I'm a little too anachronistic for that. I need courtship and it almost doesn't exist. What I need doesn't exist anymore, but because it's so in opposition to what my friend Pete needs. And, you know, Pete swipes left or right or whatever you do. And there's an endless opportunity of him to date people and try and put them through whatever harsh filters he has and be used by them and let himself use them back. And it just got emptier and emptier and emptier. And I saw him becoming emptier and emptier and emptier. There wasn't passion for his work. Um, He had some side projects, art kind of stuff, like the stuff that we met doing, we met painting. That was such a core of our friendship for so long. And then for a while, it just became, I need to crash on your couch. I've gotten my heart broken. And yet there was always this thing in the air where it's like, I knew we were platonic friends. I knew he was there for me. But if I were to change gears and show a sexual side of myself with him, I, I knew I could feel that I could just press a button in him and get that right away. I only slept with him the once way back when, when I was very heartbroken and stupid and trying to fill a hole of my own. But to imagine that that's his whole existence and that that existence is happening at a rate that's faster and faster and faster and faster as technology advances. I mean, it just feels like he's somebody who's hooked himself into a machine, you know, the machine of his work the machine of the applications, the machine of what dating culture is. And I'm obviously projecting onto this because I'm really, really jaded. But, you know, I, I did see him fall in love. I saw him fall in actual love. And I met her. And I saw how congruent the parts of him I loved were with parts of her. The way his mind worked, his witty repartee, uh, sort of the way that he was clever was the way that she was clever. And together they were just monstrously funny and seemed like preternaturally connected to each other. And yet he was very scared. Um, And being around them and their vibe was so much different than the things that he ended up opening up to me about in private. He was uh, scared, but he didn't say, I'm scared because I'm vulnerable. He didn't say that. What he said was just a list of insults about her and why it might not work out. And it seemed just so incongruent from the vibe I got with them together where it's like, as a friend, I was just like, oh, it just feels like she's exactly what you need, but I want to respect your autonomy and I can't say, who am I to say she's right for you? Shut up. That seems so, I don't know. I'm too diplomatic <laughs> to be the hard hammer of a companion that he needs. Oh, Pete. <laughs> but, but, but she 
is that hard hammer exactly? And I, and I loved them. I loved them as a thing. Um, but of course he broke up with her and I stayed friends with her and she seemed to understand that they were really good for each other, but she seemed to also understand that he just wasn't at a place to recognize that. So it didn't really count. And one night I texted him and I was like, Hey, we can hang out. You know, I'd love to see you. I don't need a place to crash and I don't need anyone to lean on. I had a feeling that he might, but I couldn't just say that because he never said, I need someone. Men often don't say, I need someone. And so it's hard because sometimes I feel like maybe I should just make up something um, to for him to take care of so that he can feel really strong. Um, he's not the kind of... Because sometimes you can open up to someone and show your vulnerability and in return, they're all, they'll, they'll understand that there's a door open where it's okay to have feelings. And then sometimes you can open up to somebody and show your vulnerability and they feel like they just need to take care of you and you end up being infantilized and you end up being um, cared for when really the show of your vulnerability was something that was a strength. It wasn't something that was asking for support. It wasn't even asking, you know, that vulnerable part of you is not asking for someone to solve it. When you show that vulnerable part of you, yeah, maybe you do need support or validation or something, but sometimes just the act of showing it is saying you're close to me and this part of me is vulnerable, it's human, it's weird, I, I am uncomfortable, and I'm letting you in on it. You don't need to solve it. I think what I've noticed is that there's a lot of men in this world who, are, who have been trained to be so uncomfortable with their own vulnerable spot that when someone else presents vulnerability, it's obviously weakness that needs to be solved and fixed. When really so much wisdom and truth and real strength comes from sharing vulnerability. So I, this, my usual tactic for connecting with him was to, like anyone else, I kind of just opened my heart and I hope that the door is open for them to open their heart. But I mean, in most cases, nobody's ready to do that ever. <laughs> Nobody does it every day. Nobody's lucky enough to be like me and sit around freelance writing in their pajamas and feeling like they're 20 and can operate from a, a broken place. God, 20? Way too old. I feel like I'm about eight years old and I'm scared. I feel like I'm about nine years old and I, and I broke my foot and my foot is swollen and my mom hasn't taken me to the doctor yet because I don't want to miss the first day of school because I have fear of missing out. That's how I feel all of the time. I mean, not the foot broken part. We eventually got that mended. That's happened, but yeah, I feel vulnerable all of the time. So having a friend like Pete is like having an alien friend, having a friend who communicates in a totally different way. And it takes so much more energy and so much more empathy to try to find a way in so I called him and instead of saying like, I need to sleep on your couch or like, I'm in a tough spot. I need you. I just called him and I was like, you know, let's hang out. You know, let's just, let's just connect. Do we do that? Do we ever do that without the intermediary of like a video game or the intermediary of 
a movie or the intermediary of your witty repartee. I mean, I knew I was going to get the witty repartee because it's great and it's something I love about him, but it's also that humor that guards, you know, that humor that guards. But I think in a lot of ways, when somebody shows you that humor that guards, they're actually showing you exactly where they are vulnerable and having to work double time on my friend Pete to find that vulnerability. Um, yeah, I mean, when somebody shows you their guarded thing, their mechanism for keeping you out, they're actually showing you exactly where they're vulnerable, exactly where they're wounded. And I think as somebody who is seeking to see that everybody else is as human as I am, oh boy, I have learned to read the language of people's guards. You know, I'm not always right, of course. Like, you know, I'm just not, I'm not always right, but I do have a ton of practice and I can narrow down the list of things that somebody might be feeling insecure and vulnerable about. And I just really pray for friends or people who will actually admit it because I know, I know from being somebody who feels eight years old (laughs) all of the time and like I'm in pajamas and walking around in a world full of people in suits, like I, I know that all of us are just kids in pajamas. I know. I know. (laughs) And I really always hoped that Pete would let me in. I think that's why I stayed friends with him for so long. And I felt sad. I felt sad that he had sex addiction. Or what I presumed is, I don't know. It's hard because I'm not really close with a lot of his other friends. And it doesn't feel like a group anymore. So it's not like on TV when you can do an intervention with all of the people who care about you because... You know, we all see different sides of one person and we live in a world that's so isolated sometimes that we only see slices of each other in the most flattened ways, especially on social media. We see flattened, curated versions of each other. We see flattened, curated versions of ourselves. And I think it gives us a key to not including the whole big, messy picture. So we hung out and... We went for a walk and of course, because it's my way, I just put my heart in my hands and I said something vulnerable and I said, Pete, I've been having sleep paralysis and if you don't know what sleep paralysis is, it's when I think there's like a chemical released in your brain that wakes up your brain, but your body's not awake yet. So it feels like you're stuck inside of your body. Um, your body is sleeping, but your brain's awake essentially is the feeling of it. And he was like, oh, I've only gotten that a few times, but it's horrible. I'm so sorry you're going through that. And, you know, it's really interesting because I was speaking from a place of truth because everyone has weakness every day, all of the time. And I lead with it, obviously. Like I lead with it because I don't, I I lead with it so that nobody else gets to it before me. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, yeah, it's terrifying. There are some nights I told him that I've been having it over and over again. So it's like my mind will be awake and I can't move my body. And I mean, you can't lift a finger when you're in sleep paralysis. It's, it's, it's really scary. You try to lift up, but you feel like dead weight. You feel paralyzed. Um, but your mind can be aware of everything in the space and your mind is aware of where your body is. It just can't move it. And so I told him, you know, sometimes I just, 
I try to send all these messages to my feet, like, you know, in Kill Bill, when she's like, move your big toe. I try to do that. And mostly I just freak out on the inside. And he's like, have you gotten it for a long time? And I'm like, yeah, on and off for years. He's like, damn, on and off for years. I was like, yeah, but when it's on, it's on. And it's every night. And I'm scared to go to sleep. I'm scared to go to sleep again, because if it happens again, it's scary again. And then he's like, how do you deal with that? And I, I, I told him there are some times where I was just like, well, I need to sleep. And if it happens, it happens. And it's happened enough times where I get, where I know it's happening. So I just try to calm myself down with my voice in my own head. Um, and I say, okay, okay, Callie. That's my name, by the way. <laughs> okay, Callie, you're okay. It's okay. This is, and I explained the science of it to myself, or at least what I've been told the science is I haven't actually looked it up or like, I don't actually know, but I'm like, okay, there's a chemical that was released that's in your brain. Science is so comforting like that. Like, and, and your body can't move and it's totally okay. And just breathe. You do have control over your breathing so you can just breathe. And I'm like, just roll your mind back over and go back to sleep. And then we'll try to wake the whole thing up together later. And that's what I told him. I, I said, I just, I just soothe myself um, in my own head with, with talking nicely and in a soothing way. And he was like, oh, I was never able to do that. He's like, do you feel like there's something pressing on your chest? You know, do you feel like... And I was like, yeah, I mean, especially because I am, and I know it's not good for you, but I am a stomach sleeper and I sleep sometimes with my arms under me. So when I get sleep paralysis, my head is craned to the side against the pillow to the side and my whole body is leaning down like on my chest and on my heart. So it feels like I'm going to be choked with the weight of my own body because of the nature of the way that I tend to sleep. It feels like my own body is is sitting on my own body and it's the weight of me and it's the heaviness of this body that cannot move, that will that will essentially kill itself. And he said, wow, that's such um, a huge insight to, to your psyche. And I was surprised to hear him say this because he normally doesn't get that deep. He wants to keep it funny and light. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't lead this to a joke already. I was very interested that he was interested in my in my psyche <laughs> I was like okay Pete yeah well, what does it say you know he's like well you've had nine suicide attempts and for you to fear your own body and feel stuck in your own body and feel like you're being killed by your own body is is such an insight to you and I um I guess it is and uh, he said, well, I don't feel like that at all when I, when I have sleep paralysis. And because I've researched this and looked up a lot of stuff about it before, I said, well, what, what, do, you, what do you feel like? Like, you get it, Pete. <laughs> like, what, what happens? Do you get, some people see like a shadow in the room or some people feel like they're sitting, something sitting on their chest and, and like, 
like the weight that I described. That's tr- some people feel like it's an actual separate figure where I just feel like it's myself. Like it's not a separate figure. It's me. I'm, it's almost like my mind has taken full responsibility for it and won't create another image because there's just this. And, uh, he said, well, no, I don't get something standing in the room, but I do get the thing on my chest. And I said, the hag. And he said, don't say that word. And I was like, what hag? Because now I was being the teaser. Now I was being the witty repartee person. And his face went so white. And he was like, seriously, Kelly, don't say that word. And as vulnerable and as sensitive and as empathetic as I like to call myself, I couldn't help but say the word one more time, even after one of my best friend's requests. And I said, what word? And he looked at me as if to say another time, don't say it. The hag, I said. And I felt so antagonistic, like this antagonistic energy was coming through me to challenge him for some reason I didn't understand. And the second after I said the hag, his face somehow went even whiter and he stopped on our walk in the street and he started to walk away from me. He started to just completely walk away from me. And immediately I was just like, oh, holy shit, what have I done? I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Pete. Come back, come back, come back, back. He just kept walking and walking and walking and walking. And I was like, I'm sorry. I, I, if you're really scared of something, I want to be here for you. I want to be your friend. I'm sorry. It's just that you so often tease and keep things on the surface that like this one time you were showing me something you were scared of. I, um, I just wanted to tease you back, you know, I'm, and I'm sorry. And I was really self-aware of like what may have come through me in that moment and then he looked at me and he looked me right in the eyes like he stopped he turned around he listened to my apology he was really fair about it he looked me straight in the eyes and he has these like gray blue ice eyes that can seem actually very cold sometimes not just because of the color but because of his like he's very effective at keeping people out and he and he looked at me and he said you know I don't blame you like I deserved that and I was like well, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, maybe. And he was like, I just need you to know that I am terrified of that word. I am terrified of that old woman who sit. Uh, and he just like breathed a lot <laughs> as if he couldn't breathe in that moment. And his body seemed to go stiff. And I didn't know what to do. So, so I, 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 I hugged him. I softened. I tried to soften. His body was so stiff and I hugged him and I said, Hey, Pete, what, what are you, what are you scared of? What's happening? And he softened with my hug. He softened. And then he immediately pulled away and he said, I'm terrified of that woman who sat on my chest for so many years, old and decaying and useless she didn't let me move. And I hugged him again. And he escaped from the hug again. Quickly, swiftly. Didn't want to be close. I always knew Pete to have a very good relationship with his mother. I'd never heard anything about his grandmother. 
I don't know what his resistance is to the image of the old woman, or why he can't explain away his sleep paralysis the way that I can scientifically convince mine to go away. If my psyche is revealed by the fact that my body wants to weight itself down and choke itself to death, if that's a window into my psyche, then I've just been thinking about him and how lonely he must be filling his void with young women who are never aging. He might never have someone to settle down with, to grow old with. I mean, maybe his behavior will change. Maybe he'll realize that he really loved that awesome woman. Maybe they will grow old together and he'll be brave enough to see her become an old woman. But the style of skinny young girl he dates, even as he ages, and we can say dates in quotes because, gosh, we all know it's swipe and drink and fuck and wake up with regret the way dating works now. I mean, there's that old adage, he just keeps getting older and his girlfriends keep getting younger. We laugh and we joke about these people with emptiness inside because they're so easy to make fun of because they're hurting all these women who are hurting them back in an endless cycle of numb fuckery. But um, I just think that he's scared of being close with someone who will age and whose breasts will drop and who will grow wise and who will be useless. <laughs> useless. <laughs> I have never felt more power than the day I was walking with Pete and the spirit of the hag came through me to say her name three times. Hag. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Frayed Yarns, The Hag. Uh, If you would like to submit a story for a season two where I will be reading other people's stories as part of the show, you may email me at athenareddy33 at gmail.com. To find out more about my work as an actor, filmmaker, and writer, you can go to athenareddy.com. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-R-E-D-D-Y. And if you appreciated this story and could go over to Apple Podcasts and rate me five stars, that would really help more people find these frayed yarns. Thank you.
This is the heart of the lion, walking through the rain, still on fire, a quiet fire that knows that it can flare up if it needs to, but is content for now just to be a thing to gather around, to warm ourselves around, just content for now to be contained in this small space. This is the heart of the lion.